This is Our Prison's The Answer, a monthly show on Justice Radio with your host, Leo Hilton. Today I'm talking with Robin Goff, Director of Community Justice Programs, and Stephen Brimley, Diversion and Deflection Program Manager, both from Volunteers of America in Northern New England, about diversion and deflection from the criminal legal system. I'm Leo Hilton, a currently incarcerated resident at Maine State Prison, PhD student at George Mason University's Jimmy and Rosalind Carter School for Peace and Conflict Resolution, and a restorative justice scholar practitioner of six years. I'm deeply passionate about creating accountability and healing-focused community-based alternatives to our current criminal legal system. This show explores how we keep our communities safe and asks the question, are prisons the answer? I've been incarcerated now for 15 years, serving a 50-year sentence for a horrible crime I committed at 18 years old. I've spent a lot of time in reflection around what I've done, what went wrong in my life, and how I can work to prevent harm like that from happening elsewhere. And I've spent all of that time seeing people cycle in and out of this system, seeing the same faces come back over and over again, and wondering how we can do things differently, how we can break cycles of crime and harm through opening opportunities for repair, healing, and restoration. I see diversion and deflection as potential opportunities like these. Turning to our guests, I would like to start with Robin, who I have had the distinct blessing of working with in various capacities. So Robin, please tell us a little about Volunteers of America in Northern New England and how you define diversion. Thanks, Leo. Uh, Volunteers of America has been around for 30 years uh, in the state of Maine and New Hampshire, and we're part of a national affiliate um, that's been around for 125 years. I like to even just share the story of our founder uh, real quick, Maud and Bollington Booth. Maud, think, you know, I think a woman 125 years ago, um, one of the first programs she set up was in Harlem around the humane treatment of prisoners. And so I just really connect with like the longevity of the agency and what they've been, you know, working towards accomplishing over the last 125 years. Um, I'm the director of our community justice programs. We serve Waldo and Knox County. And I like to share with folks that we kind of have three lanes in that. Uh, we have a diversion and deflection program. We have programs inside, uh, if people are sentenced, inside Knox County Jail and the Belfast Reentry Center. And then our third lane is, is post-release work, supporting individuals coming back to communities after a period of incarceration. Um, some of our services are case management, SUD counselors, substance use counselors, uh, peer support, um, mental health first aiders, you know, everybody gets trained in um, for individuals that might have suicidal ideation uh, going on. So we can connect them to professionals, recovery coaches. We provide transportation to individuals post-release um, and need to get to things like job interviews. Um, probation appointments, treatment appointments, things of that nature. And uh, we currently have two efficiency apartments in Wallow County now that um, are both rented to men that have come out of the reentry center. That's kind of an overview of Volunteers of America and what we're doing in the communities uh, currently. Diversion, when I think about diversion, I think about moving people away from the legal system, um, offering alternatives to incarceration. That's probably the, the simplest explanation. Uh, diverting individuals 
from the criminal justice systems to stay in, in community and be part of community. Beautiful. Yes. Keep people in their communities. Uh, and simple, simple is good. Simple is helpful. Stephen, what about you? How do you see diversion and what is the difference between diversion and deflection? Thank you, Leo. Uh, so my background's uh, basically in community-based initiatives. Um, my passion is understanding how systems impact individual behavior and how individuals within a community can define systems. So you can imagine I'm, I'm pretty interested in how that works in our criminal justice system. Um, over the years, uh, you know, I've spent a lot of time working with police departments and justice systems throughout the United States. And as you said, um, you know, there's there's a very small proportion of the population that keeps cycling through the criminal justice system. So like you, uh, I started thinking about what what can we do differently to try to break that cycle? And so when you look at diversion, as Robin was saying, that's really when individuals have come in contact with law enforcement um, and there's an opportunity to keep them out of, of the prison system or jails, get them into either specialized courts or even in some cases into reentry programs, recovery centers, whatever it may be. Uh, rapidly, um, that is it's doing its own job, but there's another step that can be taken and that's really deflection. And that's the opportunity for even before individuals become officially involved in the criminal justice system, police officers have the ability to actually not arrest an individual if the if the opportunity is is right for that, or even summons them, but put the summons pretty far out with the conditions that they work with programs like VOA's community justice or multitude of other organizations that are providing services. So again, like you said, it's both opportunities to keep individuals in the communities in which their families are in, their support is in, and where the recovery services are available. Thanks. Thank you. Thank you so much for that. Robin, would you like to add anything to Stephen's description? Um, yeah, I mean, when I think about diversion and deflection, I, I think you, Stephen's pretty right on uh, diverting individuals, right, from the criminal justice system. When I think of deflection, it's um, like educating law enforcement and or district attorneys um, around what these programs are so that they have an alternative when they're making a decision about whether to arrest or to prosecute someone. Um, so it's deflection for me is that education piece around there's other options um, to arrest or prosecute. Um, and diversion is kind of like once they're already involved in the criminal justice system, how can we divert them further from it? Very cool. Could you speak a little bit to um, specific programming? Yeah. In our diversion and deflection work, we kind of have a couple of models. LEAD is one of them. Um, which stands for Law Enforcement Assisted Diversion. Um, since then, we work with the National Lead Bureau um, to help us in our um, shifting as we go along to improve processes. But so I say that because their new language around either lead from lead being law enforcement assisted diversion is now let everyone advance with dignity is what LEAD will transition into um, standing for. Um, so that really is kind of like our deflection model. 
And then um, the diversion is based off of like the cahoots model that's been around really for 30 years out in Seattle, they got it going. Um, but it's like a co-response model with law enforcement. Um, and because we're limited in our capacity of liaisons, co-response often turns into um, us reaching out after they've already had involvement. Um, but some of the programs that we're diverting and deflecting them into is we're, you know, strengthened our relationships with Medicaid assisted treatment providers in the community, with mental health organizations. VOA is also a licensed SED agency. We don't do Medicaid assisted treatment, but um, we're just more outpatient, um, not necessarily abstinence based. Maybe they're getting their medication somewhere else, but we're providing one on one counseling support. Uh, we have a, as I mentioned before, uh, we train all of our staff in mental health first aid. We also offer that training to community partners and law enforcement at no cost. Um, so individuals, um, when our staff is working with people, um, they can pick up on the signs of um, suicidal thoughts, ideation, um, to get them connected to some of those community resources. We have recovery coaches. Uh, we work with another uh, organization called Helping Incarcerated Individuals Transition. Um, it's led up by Norman Keeling, uh, who is formerly incarcerated. But if we have, uh, sometimes we refer to Norman um, as just like a lived experience mentor. So we're really coming at mentoring from lots of levels, mental health supports, recovery supports, or just from the lived experience lens. Um, I mentioned the transportation before. We provided 1,500 rides last year to individuals. Um, you know, for me, it's like uh, probation violations around people not showing up to appointments because the transportation um, seems like something that we can help solve. Um, we certainly can't handle every ride request that's made to us right now. We're working towards that, but like getting individuals to um, appointments that they need to get to so they're not revocated on their probation and ending up back in jail. What am I missing for programming, Stephen? I'll let you tag in. One of the more creative things I think we do, which is uh, <laughs> the purpose is really to alleviate a lot of some of those non-traditional law enforcement calls is our friendly caller program. So older adults in Waldo County can sign up for a daily call-in program uh, they call in to dispatch. Historically, if if they didn't call in, there would be a welfare check ordered, and that would require a deputy, sheriff deputy, to respond to make sure the individual hasn't fallen, is in trouble, missing, gone wandering. Uh, we've taken that program over, so if dispatch uh, doesn't hear from one of those older adults on that list, then one of our community liaisons' uh, responsibility is to go out find that individual, make sure they're okay and get services in place. So again, just as you know, Robin was saying, we're just another tool in the tool belt of deputies and local law enforcement to allow them to do more traditional law enforcement uh, and allows us to, to get those services in place for individuals that may be in so-called crisis. That is amazing. And it sounds very much like you all are grounded in a wellness model checking on the wellness and the safety and the well-being of people, which is exactly what we need to be doing as a community and as a society. So that's you, exciting. 
Yeah, and I think Robin could tell, you know, war stories about how this program started during COVID. But I I mean, we have to emphasize the fact that that COVID really was a transformational point in our lives. Uh, it's really impacted individuals, particularly our older adults who were already facing some isolation. Uh, that's what we try to do. We try to get them reconnected or connected with family, friends, social organizations, and we've extended that out to individuals um, that may be suffering from mental health issues as well. It's giving me like goosebumps, even as we're all just talking here right now, because that that is like the root and the core of it is a uh, wellness and, and checking on our brothers and sisters, no matter where they're at in the system or community to make sure everyone's doing okay. You know, we uh, right ahead of the Hurricane Lee last weekend, you know, the team and I were in communication a couple of days ahead of that. And, you know, um, let's check on our folks in the community. Do they need a ride to the soup kitchen before this weekend hits? Like, do they have a clay pot, the candle even that they can put in their tent for some warmth if it gets cold? You know, it's just like, um, yeah, I, I feel really lucky to work with uh, my team members that I do. They, they really are just so passionate and show up every day and um, keep pushing forward. Welcome back to Justice Radio. Today I'm talking with Robin Goff, Director of Community Justice Programs, and Stephen Brimley, Diversion and Deflection Program Manager, both from Volunteers of America and Northern New England about diversion and deflection from the criminal legal system. So far, we've talked about what diversion and deflection are, what the difference is between the two, and how the work at VOA is really grounded in community care and wellness, which is a beautiful thing. And so thank you both for the work that you're doing. Robin, can I come back to you? What are some major benefits of diversion and deflection for community safety? Yeah, sure. I mean, I think to piggyback off of what we were talking about before the break, um, one of the major benefits is improving the lives of our community members and humans, um, no matter where they're at in the system. Um, I mean, benefits of, of programs like diversion and deflection um, help us to prevent overdoses, possibly prevent suicidal attempts. Um, I talked a little bit about the training that our staff uh, receives, you know, prior to working with individuals. So, uh, you know, as mental health first aiders and recovery coaches are working closely with uh, the state's options liaisons, I think the benefits of these programs, you know, not just improving the lives of others, but uh, some prevention work. I think uh, Stephen spoke to a little bit before the break too, you know, relieve some of the burden on law enforcement so that they can, you know, be more focused on higher level criminal activity that might be happening, um, where we can do things like pick up the friendly caller uh, program and things like that. You know, I, I mean, cost savings, I, I have to throw in there, not that it's top of my list, um, but I think some folks listening might connect to that, that the cost to incarcerate an individual, um, you know, I, I don't have the current, when I used to talk about this, it was like $40,000 a year at that time. I'm sure it's gone up since then. And maybe somebody has more, but it's like, um, you know, 
if we weren't spending the money on incarcerating individuals, that money could be going into more community programs. I just saw a number in the chat, 78,000, right? So if we can divert and deflect individuals from the criminal justice system, taxpayer dollars are saving $78,000 a year to incarcerate one person. And I'll let Stephen weigh in. Yeah, it's 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 all of that. Plus, it's for me, I still can't get my head around um, why we keep seeing the same individuals. I've been working, you know, for VOA for a little over 10 months now. And even in that short period of time, uh, there have been a couple of individuals I've seen cycle through here. And while I think the prison and jail system in Maine is doing a good job at providing services in the jail, I think as a community, we're not doing enough on the outside to support those individuals that are struggling. Um, you know, I've even had individuals say to me, um, I, I need to come back to jail in order to get those services. So, you know, Robin and other colleagues of ours are really starting to throw around this idea of no entry. How do we get these individuals the services that they perceive to get only in jail out in the community? Um, this is just the beginning point. So it's not just, you know, what we do as a criminal justice team. Uh, Robin and I spend an incredible amount of time building bridges to a lot of other organizations and partners that are doing great work out in the communities. But it's it has to be uh, more collaborative, more wraparound services is not just providing mental health services. There has to be some other services uh, around housing, employment, education. So I think that's that's really the target of it to address those root causes to stop these individuals from repeatedly coming back into the cycle and and saving you know not only money but lives i think that's really the important aspect of the work that we're trying to do yes yes and yes uh <laughs> you speak about language the, underneath what you just shared is this concept of community accountability collective accountability that we each have a role to play in making our community safe in cultivating wellness in checking on people who aren't doing well or maybe who are doing well, but just aren't as connected as they could be. And it's in that connection, it's in that interconnectedness that exists between us that we are able individually and collectively to be well and to be whole. And so these wraparound services, addressing the root causes, addressing the basic human needs that we all have, we all can work to build these out. And so thank you for the specific work that you're doing and uh, this, this concept of no entry, keeping people out, keeping people in their communities, healing and growing and repairing harm when it happens. That's really what we need. And I love that. hundred um, percent. It's yeah. not easy. No, it's not easy. <laughs> um, you know, Leo to VOA was just awarded some funds through the state to open, uh, you know, a recovery community center but I'm gonna take the word recovery out of it, but I say that because the state had an initiative for each county to open a recovery community center and Waldo currently does not have one with, and with all the services we have going on, right? Um, but we, we wanna take recovery out of that and launch this concept of just a community center in Waldo County. Um, I think recovery tends to take people to recovery from alcoholism or, or substance use disorder. And we know that people are recovering from mental health disorders. They're recovering from the social isolation that COVID brought on. They're recovering from grief. 
you know, there's lots of things that people um, are seeking connection around. And, you know, we, uh, Artivism in Maine, helping incarcerated individuals transition and restorative justice project Maine um, are all a piece of the pie of that funding because we want to launch it with them and we want to incorporate the arts and we want to have things like improv nights and we want to have a job board where employers can come in and post jobs you know, for anybody in the community. Uh, and likewise, you know, getting landlords involved in this community center, like just a place of inclusion for the community to have connection because yeah, we all do hold the peace. I love that. Yes, expand how we see recovery. But you know, Leo, I I don't think the the pressure is really on those that are in law enforcement or corrections or criminal justice. Uh, yes, we play a part in that. But I think where the pressure is, as you mentioned, is is really on society and our, our respective communities to define how we want to be in treating each other and those that have challenges in their lives. How do we respond to those situations? That's the question that needs to be asked by everyone in all of our communities. So hopefully that takes the pressure off individuals like yourself or or Robin or me to get these actions moving forward. It's really got to be a collaborative effort and have a lot of community support out there. Yes. Responsibility is on us collectively and individually together. The only way out of where we have been and into the future that can be is together. But none of this is easy, right? So, you know, we're talking about the war stories that Robin could tell. Um, there has to be something to keep you in this work through the barriers and the adversity that come with it. And so what keeps you in it? What's the personal human connection? Stephen, you want to speak to that? Sure. Um, I think the the situation that I grew up in uh, really was the best training I could ever ask for. I grew up in an extremely diverse community. And in the fourth grade, I was actually uh, pulled out from a school where all my friends were, and I was comfortable in to diversify a school uh, that was local as well. But I ended up being the only uh, native English speaker, and for lack of a better term, um, white Anglo-Saxon middle <laughs> income um, person in the class. And I saw every aspect. I saw immigrants. I saw, you know, second generation. I saw everything. And I had an amazing teacher, I'll never forget him, Mr. Stead, um, that really treated all of us as not necessarily individuals, but collective individuals in the sense that we all had a responsibility to maintain the order in the class and didn't treat any one of us different than another. And I think I've carried that on from, from that early age to understand that we all are humans and we all have these challenges every day of putting food on the table and supporting family and finding jobs and um, maintaining our health and well-being. And I don't see a difference in that in the, in the individuals that I'm lucky enough or fortunate enough to work with. So it's really about finding that humanity, that side of the story that drives people to get out of bed every morning and make a difference in the world. I'm just here along, you know, to enjoy that journey and to understand how I can play a part in getting them to that end goal and getting that food on the table and maintaining families and helping individuals maintain their own health and well-being. That's what gets me out of bed every morning. That's beautiful. Walking with people in their journey to wellness. <laughs> Boy, that feels good. Thank you. Robin, what about you? What keeps you in this? 
Yeah, I mean, just as I was listening to Stephen share about you know, his, his family's social status related to the rest of the class. I mean, I fought, I fell in that part of the other part of the class, you know, we were low income growing up. Um, you know, if I, I've taken, uh, you know, the ACEs quiz before myself, the adverse childhood experiences. And I think I scored, you know, eight or nine out of 10 of those. I mean, I, I had a very troubled, uh, childhood and early adulthood. You know, the game changer for me was when I had my first daughter. She's 18 now. And I know I've shared with you personally before, but, you know, she was in the same school from kindergarten through her senior year, you know, same stable households. And she's off to college to be a registered nurse. You know, and so it's I've, I've changed the trajectory of my children's life by changing my own life. And I want to help others do that, too. Yes, Stephen, Robin, you are amazing. And I know that you are not alone in this. And I know that it's really easy because um, some people may be listening who are engaged in similar work and who feel really alone in this work. Like they're just not enough hands doing the work, but you're not alone and hearing you speak really resonates with me on just how fundamental the human connection is in keeping us grounded in this work, that we get energy from giving energy and from walking with each other in this journey towards wellness. And so diversion and reflection, diversion and deflection, uh, as you shared today, sounds like it's really grounded in community and collective care, collective accountability, care, building capacity to meet our basic human needs, looking at the root causes of interpersonal harm and working to address those to interrupt the cycles of harm and crime in our communities and really building community safety through building community. And so thank you for the work that you do, for showing up, lending your wisdom, knowledge, experience, and I really hope that people will hear you and want to get involved in this work. And so for our listeners, thank you for tuning in. And if you would like to know more about Volunteers of America, Northern New England, and get involved in this incredible work, please head to voanne.org, voanne.org, and click on the Community Justice tab. Or check them out on Facebook. And next week, please join Marian Anderson for Voices of the Directly Impacted on Justice Radio. With thanks to bluesman Samuel James for his gifts of music that opens and closes each episode in our series. And to Luke Brown and Aaron Pyle, our sound engineers, we are Justice Radio. Justice Radio.